FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 108 of the podcast that goes snicked. We're your hosts, Jason and Denise Venable. What's up? And uh, this time we have uh, the Logan Legacy shines a spotlight on Lady Deathstrike. Ooh. Yeah, that's right. And then we have uh, some other stuff. <laughs> other stuff. <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, we'll, we'll update you on the uh, Weapon X program. We'll have some, hey, remember when Wolverine was alive? And we'll have a little Axis update with Sabretooth. Yeah. That's about it. So, let's talk about some comics, huh? Let's do it. All right, here we go. The Death of Wolverine, The Logan Legacy, That's featuring Dady, right. Dady, L- Lady, Dady Lady Deathstrike. Yeah, the, the Logan Legacy spotlight is shining on uh, Yuriko Oyama. I'm glad you pronounced that. Yeah, so this is uh, Death of Wolverine, The Logan Legacy, number four. It is written by Marguerite Bennett. Another pull from Mike Martz from his uh, DC Batman days as editor over there. Uh, Marguerite Bennett was, um, I guess for lack of a better word, uh, Scott Snyder's uh, protege. I think she was in one of his uh, writing classes. Um, Sure. She did some... (laughs) Just kidding. Wow. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, uh, I have no idea what you're talking about, so I thought I'd try to add like mm-hmm. random sarcastic levity. Random scandal. <laughs> yes. That's I not in any way true, as far as I know. <laughs> it's completely from my wife's imagination. You heard it here first. <laughs> Juan Doe is the artist colorist and did the cover, and then VC's Joe Caramagna did the letters. So what's on the cover? So we have a very cool Lady Deathstrike with her tree-like hands, focused, kind of the camera yeah. angles kind of down below. Her hair is defying gravity. Yes, her ponytail is blowing in the wind. And her shadow her is... Her ponytail, my friend, is blowing in the wind. Her ponytail is blowing in the wind. Yeah, well, the only way my ponytail would do this is if I stood on my head. <laughs> Anyway, her shadow is of Wolverine himself. It's a purple pinkle shadow. Yes. Did you just say purple fecal? No, I think I said purple pinkle. <laughs> just checking. <laughs> but the colors on this are really, really cool. Yeah, it's all purple and pinkle. <laughs> pickled? What? Yes, pickle, no green. pickled purple. Um, and there's purple rain. Oh, no. You asked for it, Marvel. Wait, is that purple rain or is that purple haze? That's purple haze. Yeah, purple rain is Prince. Yeah. There should be a lot more screaming and what? 
This is the hero formerly known as Wolverine. <laughs> oh, man. I can't believe you went there. <laughs> anyway, the colors are really cool. I The only issue I have with this cover are two things. One is her tree-like rooted hands. Yes, which I like them. I like the dark outline on them. I think it looks pretty cool. Okay, I like the dark outline. It's the thin little sketchy outlines. That makes it look like Groot? Yes. Yeah, I I hear you. Groot. I am Groot. Lady Deathstrike. Um, And the other thing that I'm not overly fond of is um, because, and maybe it's the way that it's the angle that it's drawn at. She looks like a guy. If you cut off her ponytail, look, look, here. Cut that off. She's she holding looks her like fingers over my comic. She looks like Bruce Wayne. A little bit. I mean, her face is round, but some women have round faces. I have a round face. Do I look like a guy? No. <laughs> anyway, I also like how the background is kind of photorealistic. Yes, and, and I love the And there's like the little... a layer of penciled art on top of it. Well, and I love the little twinkle lights in the yes, background. Yes, the twinkle pinkles. The Twinkle Pickles. I'm going. I'm going to start a petition that we officially change the name of the color pink to Pinkle. <laughs> so anyone who wants to get on board, just you know, sign on up. I'll sign on up if you buy me a pair of pinkled tennis shoes. <laughs> Deal. Anyway, so I think we both agree it's a pretty cool cover. Yeah. So I like our intro. It kind of catches us up with where Lady Deathstrike is. It says, After the saga of Anna Cortez, the mind of Lady Deathstrike found a haven in the body of her friend Raiko. Which, now that I read this, I kind of remember that. That's from the O'Brien Wood Adjectiveless X-Men series. And I remember when Lady Deathstrike showed up in Death of Wolverine, I thought it was in Eureka's body. And I was like, what? How is this going on? Are they going to explain this? And I forgot... Then at the end of the, the storyline in Brian Wood's arc, that Lady Deathstrike's consciousness left Anna Cortez and went to the assistant, Raiko. So I forgot all about that. So I apologize for the mix-up and for casting any doubts on Charles Soule. Now, to be fair, Brian Wood's run, while decent, was kind of forgettable. So I don't really blame myself 100% for not remembering. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think it's... Also Marvel's fault (laughs) for writing a story that didn't really seem to matter that much. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. But anyway, though she just regained her life, Yuriko, Yuriko Omama, Omama, (laughs) Yomama, yes, Yuriko Yomama learned that Wolverine, the man she was destined to kill, was dead and not by her hand. A lot of that going around. Not by their hand. Um, Her failure and disgrace are eternal. Free at last. Free at last. Lady Deathstrike unleashed her rage. That's how the speech went, right? Sure. Okay. All right. So what do we got? What happens in this old comic bookie? So Lady Deathstrike starts to talk about a sword. Yes. A legendary sword. A legendary sword. Because it says basically that every time a sword was... Broke, not broken, but like scratched or bent or wounded, then it made this sword like sharper and better. Right. And she talks about the sword that, um, a legendary sword, a sword of legend, where the blade is so fine it's invisible to the naked eye. Yes. And so, but the sword itself isn't just awesome, it's everything that went with it that makes it a legacy. So I kind of like that tie into the the Logan legacy, that the yeah. sword is a legacy. So we see a bunch of dudes hanging upside down. Yes. And then we flash back to... Wait, Lady Deathstrike has a lightsaber? 
Yeah, the sword's all shiny. But we flash back to an hour before, and we're in some district of Tokyo that I am not going to pronounce. Kabukish, Shinjuku District, Tokyo. I bet if we asked Tokyo Tranny Boy, Georgie, he would tell us that um, you totally butchered that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> anyway, so she basically, she gets into this um, bar. Yeah, a gambling den. Yeah, and... She asked the guys for the blade back. The honor blade of yes. uh, Mariko's clan. And before they say anything, we get a flashback of a... Um, well, the story of the blade. Right. It was forged by Masamune. It is the essence of the Yashida clan, and only the worthy can yield it. And this is actually, besides our cover silhouette, the only uh, Wolverine appearance in the book. But I mean, this whole little flashback is drawn in like Japanese folk art style. Yeah, I really it like looks, it. Yeah, it looks really, really cool. Death Strike asks for the sword back. And they all laugh at they her. They laugh at They're her. They're all going to laugh at you. And I actually like um, the panel of them laughing at her, like the three seconds before they laugh and then when they're laughing, just the, from the back with her ponytail. Yeah. And the guy, a guy grabs her and he says, who let you in here? You a delivery girl? And then she just kind of leans in. She's like, I'm so sorry. I, I mistook you for another. And then she impales the guy with her hand. Yes. And her comeback is, I mistook you for a dead man. Yes, her tree fingers, like the Radiohead yes. song. And she informs everyone that they will know her as Lady Deathstrike. I really like, so underneath the panel of her impaling the dude, we see like the nanites kind of forming the fingers like in her bloodstream. And three little panels. It looks really, really cool. It is really cool. So she takes out the guy... And then these three guys kind of step forward. They're going to fight her. Yes. And they They're all tatted off up. off their jackets. They're all, and we're talking super tatted. Yeah, they are inked to the max. Except they're And inked. one of them's in a diaper. <laughs> it's not a diaper. I'm sorry, a sumo diaper. It's not a sumo diaper. Anyway, they come to, the tattoos come to life. Yeah, so, so she says, oh, they must have been tattooed with nanite ink. And so, you know. Yeah, this is where the comic lost me. I thought it was actually pretty cool. So now, basically, I, I think it's cool. It's just what the well, like if the you put nanites in the ink. Yeah, but okay, the dudes are just standing there, like go get her. Yeah, sickum tattoo, and it does. And there, there's a really cool full page splash of this like Japanese dragon spider creature jumping off the guy's chest, and it looks awesome. The color work on this page is amazing. It is really awesome, and I thought it was interesting the way the little tattoo explained himself. He says, the hosts do not wield us like weapons. Instead, we wear them. Right, like the tattoos are in charge. Right, and so she decides, well, if you're in charge, then I'll just take out your host. And she pokes a guy's eye out with her (laughs) fingers. Actually, she decapitates him. Yes. And then she guts another guy, and the little creature goes, ah. Yep, no host. The tattoo dies. And so she hangs everybody up from the ceiling. Yeah, the survivors. The real delivery guy comes. Yep, with his his sex slaves. And she takes out the dudes and she tells the girls, all right, pick their pockets, take what you want. I'll drop some of y'all off at the hospital and I'll drop the rest of you off at a harbor. Well, yeah, she gives them a um, kind of a choice. Like, I'll take you to the authorities or I'll get you started on your way home back to your families, but I ain't your mama. I'm not Yuriko, your mama. (laughs) 
But she does say there is a cool little scene where this that I thought was actually pretty cool because one of the girls is like, well, "We're gonna get revenge. We're gonna kill these guys. We're gonna go find them and kill them all." And she's like, "No, no, you do not wish that." Your entire life would have become him with his ghost like a stain on your soul. Gather your things and come with me. Actually, I'm sorry. She didn't say she was going to kill them. She said, I wish I had been the one to kill them. And Lady Deathstrike corrects her. Yeah, and then you see her outside the hospital and she's like, well, I did what I said I was going to do. Yep, see you kids. This ain't, this ain't Annie. And, I, and she makes a very, um, as she's walking, she's kind of monologuing to herself. And it says, even in death, I fear he still defines me. Right, yeah. And I, I love that line. I, I don't know what it is about it, but I love it. Yep, so she finds an old cemetery that Wolverine had outside of Tokyo. And we get kind of another little kind of breakdown of where Deathstrike comes from. She says, my entire life has always been determined by another. I was my father's weapon, which, by the way, I just read her first appearance in Daredevil. Yeah. With her dad. That's interesting. Is it good? It was all right. Yeah. Okay. I'm reading it for, because uh, Wolverine has a Daredevil appearance. It'll be in our next uh, flashback episode. And so I was reading after that. Her first appearance is right after that. Ah. And then she was Stryker's pupil, which I kind of remember that, but that feels more like the movie. Well, but in the movie, she wasn't really his pupil. She was his slave. Yeah. Uh, she was Spiral's experiment and the most recently Madeline Pryor's plaything. Even Anna Cortez bought me as easily as in, as in Yakuza bought those girls from Chinese thugs. Everything I've ever done has been a service of finding Wolverine and killing him. But now he's dead and not by my hand. All the momentum of my life is gone. Without him to hunt, what am I to become? And then, um... A seven-foot Asian woman. Yeah, she looks really tall in this perspective. She always has, like, super tall legs in this guy's And super long arms. Yeah. She says she's always been trapped in the web of another's legacy, their ambitions. But now she's free, but she's alone. And she's going to leave the sword on this tomb. Uh, that's not really Wolverine's tomb, but I guess symbolically she's... Um, she's kind of made it Paying his. her respects to Wolverine, but also freeing herself. She kind of comes to a conclusion that she's going to do what Wolverine kind of did on a part-time basis, where he kind of kept the Japanese underworld in check when he was there. She's going to do that like all the time and do it better than Wolverine, which I think she maybe can if she stays there. <laughs> So. I mean, she looks like a T-Rex in this. <laughs> yeah, she does. So like, if you're happy and you know it, clap your... Oh, oh man. But she says she's not even doing it for Wolverine, but for herself. Right. <laughs> anyway, so what did you think of the art? Very manga influenced, very Japanimation. Yeah, I liked it. It was a breath of fresh air. Some, some perspective drove me a little nuts, but... yeah. Not enough to be like, ooh, I don't like this. Overall, I dug it. Uh, I think a lot of what I liked was the color work. Oh, yeah. The color work was amazing. Yeah. And also the... And the way he used a light. Yeah. I guess for me, the sort of uh, come alive tattoos, you know, where one side of between her legs is orange and flowery and the other side's green and it's got the waves with the dragon and like the colors are very very um it did it looked like a tattoo inspired or that the tattoo was coming alive which is what he's obviously trying to get across but just the overlapping of colors was amazing yeah i thought it was really cool and he did a lot of of color to do mood you know like the cemetery is kind of greenish yeah 
But then that same scene, there's parts that's kind of sepia toned. Sepia. Whatever. But yeah, no, I really, I, I dug the art overall. I don't know if you noticed, I really enjoyed all the textures. Yes. That are in this comic. A lot of line work. There's a ton of line work. There's a ton of halftone work, which I don't know if they used a program to come up with it, if they did it themselves. Oh, I don't know. But there's a ton of halftone work in this that's just flipping amazing the way it's used. Um, I mean, look at that. Like, that's her silhouette, but that's all halftoned behind her. And so it just, it adds like this extra level of um, texture. And even like on the ground, it's halftoned. Yeah, that's really cool. I like that. So yeah, they're all just all the different in the wood grain, you know, it's very sketchy and charcoaly, and yet you still have that halftone textured in there. Yeah, the the texture's just flipping amazing. So what do you think of the story? This is I the first it. time we've had uh, Miss Bennett on the podcast. Yeah, I liked it and I thought it was good. I you know, as much as I love Kyle Higgins, we kind of weren't the biggest fan of the Sabretooth issue. No. But I thought this was kind of the same idea of like, yeah. there's this nemesis of Wolverine who didn't get to do a man. And that was kind of her main motivation. And now that's gone. What's she going to do? I kind of felt like this was a better version of that story. Well, but I also think Sabretooth is so mentally unstable, which is hilarious because he he runs the hand. So in theory, he has to be organized and slightly stable, right? And so, but the fact that they made him slightly stir crazy and not mentally sound. No, he definitely snaps, yeah. Right. But so this train of thought for Lady Deathstrike, you know, she's got that Asian influence where, you know, I need to do what's honorable. Like I need to pay my debt so my conscience can be free and clear. Right. And in the process of doing that, it's like, well, crap. No, I want to do it all the time. Well, so, and also the 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 bad guys were cooler. Yeah, the bad going guys going in were the way Japanese cooler. underworld and busting up the gambling ring and you know freeing the sex slaves and all that is a little more interesting than Sabretooth just taking a terrorist vacation trip and killing some mutant who had firepower. Right. But anyway, I enjoyed kind of where she ends up. Uh, that she's going to kind of like take over Wolverine's spot is kind of keeping the Japanese underworld in check. It should maybe even be kind of a hero, maybe? Maybe. I can't really tell exactly for sure where she was going with that. I would actually really love to see her be like the anti-hero. Yeah, well, yeah. She wouldn't ever be like a straight-up hero. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, I, I look forward. I hope we actually get to see some of her new mission, um, either in the Wolverine's weekly series or somewhere else. Right. But, I don't know, we'll see. So when are you going to grade the Logan Legacy number four? I'm going to give it six out of six. I really enjoyed it. Okay. I will give it five out of six claws. Well, that is our Logan Legacy spotlight on Lady Deathstrike. So I hope you enjoyed it. Okay, so next up we have the Death of Wolverine, the Weapon X program number two. Hypothesis. Duh. (laughs) Yes. Written by Charles Soule, with art by Salvador Larroca, colors by Frank Diamarna, letters by VCs Woohoo, Corey Pennant, and Joe Sabino. You took away my woohoo. Oh, sorry. Let's try this again. Letters by VCs Corey Pennant, Woohoo, and Joe Sabino. 
Um, and the cover is by Salvador LaRocca. And I like this cover quite a bit. So in the background, we have like a flashback of a war. And it's all in like monochromatic steel blue. The background is monochromatic. Yes, that's what I just said. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I was Did looking you? at the guys in front. I'm like, they're not monochromatic. No, they're not. They're duochromatic. Is that a word? No. It is now. <laughs> You're making up words. That's for what color I do. Theories. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, yes. So in the foreground, we have Wolverine facing off with uh, C major sharp. Um, C major the sharp. The scale of, of C major sharp. Um, Where's the trouble, Cliff? <laughs> <laughs> but <Ba-doom, boom. laughs> No. Guess what? That'd be sweetie. <laughs> No, keep it away. Um, anyway, yes, they're in a yellowish color and a grayish blue. And I really like those that color scheme. I do too. So I really like the cover. <laughs> <laughs> you like the cover because you like the color scheme? Both color schemes, yes. And I mean, it's well drawn. Okay. It's, I, I always like uh, LaRocca's Wolverine. So It, it kind of has like a 40s vibe. A little bit, yeah. Kind of a movie poster vibe as well. Yeah, and I don't know if it's because Sharp has a gas mask on, but... Right, yeah. It it does. It invokes, like, you know, the atom bomb is dropping, hide under your desk, and everyone will be safe. <laughs> All right, well, so we have our six Weapon X patients that have are in, in the process of escaping, and Sharp is experiencing more Wolverine memories. He thinks this other girl is Kenny Pride in the cockpit in one of Kenny's worse, worser costumes. She have on a dress? It's like a pink tutu X-Men uniform thing. It's pretty gross. Um, <laughs> but, Kitty yeah. in the 80s. Yeah, she had a string of horrible costumes. They even joked about it, but I think the joke was on them. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so they're being tracked down by another helicopter. And but they're able to kind of disengage when you use the uh, the really fast girl, and she can also slow down reaction time or whatever. And so she throws a fire extinguisher perfectly between the blades of the other helicopter and blows it up. So they get away, and Sharp decides that there's a tracking device on the helicopter. So he lands it on a train, and the other guy is like, "We're still on the train." And he's like, "Not for long. Jump!" And so they all jump. He aim says, for the water. Yeah, he says aim for the water, and the big guy misses. But he doesn't die because he's indestructible. And there's voices in Sharp's head telling him, leave these guys, go survive yourself. And then a guy, uh, so they decide they need nicknames. So they all get nicknames. Uh, we have... I actually think it's pretty smart because Sharp is like, hey, let's, you know, who is everybody? Yeah, he wants to introduce the gang. They're going to sing Kumbaya. Now that they've been through this survival experience together. And uh, the guy with his brain showing is like, nope. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell from frame to frame. This bottom frame right here kind of looks like he has like a glass covering over his brain. Yes. And then sometimes it looks like his brain is just seeping out. No, I think he has a glass cover. Okay, cool. Little 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 protective covering. Yeah, he has barcodes for eyebrows though. Yeah. So we have um, Sharp. Goes with Sharp. Hmm. Then the brain guy is going to be Neuro. The girl who's really fast will be Endo because her endocrine system is affecting her powers. We surmise. We have Skell, who's the big guy. Uh, when they call the animal guy Junk. Yeah, he wants to be called Junk. So every time he gets kicked, he can, they, someone can say, I just kicked you in the junk. 
And we have the, the girl that's on the hospital bed, passed out. She has no name. Yeah. So then Junk spies on Indo, checking herself out in the water. It appears she has Must a be the best scars. mirror she has. Yes. And there's a rock in the stream uh, that very carefully covers her nip- reflected nipple. Yes. Ooh, that's a good name for a band, reflected nipple. <laughs> anyway, uh, they're found by another weapon squad of weapon x major sharp gets uh, some subconscious training from the voice in his head and at some point like we know it's not just his narration because he actually talks back to it yeah um or are we not soon. gotten there yet? we haven't okay, gotten there sorry. yet anyway he takes them all out and they decide wait a second the homing beacon wasn't in the helicopter it must be in us but luckily nero oh i just realized he has barcode for eyebrows what Is that did what I you just, just said? said? You said something about barcodes. I didn't catch that you meant eyebrows. I said, yeah, he's got a clear thingy and he's got barcodes for eyebrows. Yeah. And you were like, uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, he's real smart. He puts chicken smooth. wire around the van. Jason, yeah. smooth. You just proved everybody that you ignore me. <laughs> Oops. I love how they're like, chicken wire. Chicken wire can conceal us. What the freak? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. But apparently it keeps radio waves out of the van. Someone get Bill Nye the science guy or Mythbusters. Ooh, I like that. Send an IM to uh, Mythbusters and see if they'll do this on their next show. Anyway, so Nero gets a box cutter. He's going to cut out everybody's chips. And he does it. He's going to cut out the uh, knocked out girl. But she wakes up and fights back, and her power is she can read minds by connecting lightning bolts to your eyeballs. And she does it, and we find out a secret that (gasps) Nero is an ex-serial killer. Yes. And she's going to scream for help, but he sweats her throat. And then cleverly tells everybody that the chip was too close to her jugular, and he messed up, and he feels really, really awful. And the voice tells Sharp not to listen to him, that he's lying. But Sharp is like, what? And they, so he's able to kind of reverse hack the chip. And he says, we're not the only people they're following. There's this guy, Victor Creed. Maybe if we track him down, he can help us. <laughs> uh, maybe not. No, I, all right, so I don't know where our timeline is. So will they find regular Sabretooth or will they find Axis inverted Sabretooth? Okay, I actually may have found where someone did prove that chicken wire will keep out radio waves. Okay. Uh, there's a thing By all called, means, let's backtrack. There's a thing called the Faraday Faraday? Faraday cage. Yeah, that's what, this, it's what he calls it, a Faraday cage. Yeah, it's a container made of a conducting material such as wire mesh or metal plates that shields what it, in, what it encloses from external electric fields. In our experiments, a Faraday cage can be used to prevent external electromagnetic a magnetic interference from interfering with our neural recordings. I think somebody to my left owes Charles Soule an apology. I'm sorry, Charles. So I want you to write 100 times Charles Soule was right. And I'll wait here while you do it. Anyway, I'm sorry. On behalf of my co host, I'm sorry, Charles Soul. Yeah, but anyway, do you think they'll they'll get Creed from. Because this is before the Logan legacy. And by that point, either Creed is not inverted yet or he's already 
he's on our way. Converted back. Way. So what? You, which one do you think they'll get? You think they'll get good saber tooth or, or regular bad saber tooth? I think they're gonna get confused saber tooth. <laughs> Okay, so I don't know where Axis falls in in the storyline. But anyway, they're going to find Sabretooth, and I think either way, they're going to be in for a surprise. So so what I find interesting is, why is he not taking off the mask? I think he's afraid that they'll see Wolverine too, maybe? Well, I'm just wondering, like, so there's several questions that pop into my head, especially when you realize that Wolverine, he's having a conversation, in theory, with himself. So, so is Wolverine inside of him, or yeah, like is there like a fake Wolverine AI that's like been embedded in his body? Does he have like we've talked about this before that Weapon X notoriously the program um, would implant fake memories? So they try to like download like a set of Wolverine memories into this guy's head, and now he's got to like fight them back. Well, it almost seems like uh, there's a split personality going on. A little bit. Um, so I'm still curious to see whether he ends up like thinking he's Wolverine or if he realizes like he's got like a little Wolverine buddy inside of him. Well, I'm wondering if it has something to do with his mask because he hasn't taken it off. I think he's afraid to. I think he's afraid to see his own reflection because he doesn't recognize the face. Well, he took it off already in the last book. Yeah. He took it off for a second. Right. And he saw Wolverine's face and he didn't recognize it. And well, he hasn't nobody t- recognized it. <laughs> Right, but he hasn't taken it back off since, so I right. think it's a fear thing. I don't think he wants to, to see himself until he figures out what's going on. Here's my thing. I like the idea of the fact that he he has this voice in his head and he talks to it and almost like he's going mad. Yes, I do like that. I hope it's not actually Wolverine's consciousness. I do too. That would disappoint me a little bit. I That would disappoint me. Um, I just, I love the idea that like Wolverine's mind is so... Um, you mean Sharp's mind? No, Wolverine, I guess his conscious is so complex that only Wolverine himself could handle it. Right. And so by having Wolverine in someone else's head, like they just can't handle the thoughts that Wolverine... Oh, and plus he has his own memories too. So the two like fighting for domination of his mind. Yeah. However, if this is, you know, two personalities fighting over each other and Sharps in the end loses... And Wolverine takes over, and then this is becomes the new Wolverine. I'm not gonna like that at all. I will reserve judgment. That n- doesn't sound like something I would prefer. <laughs> yeah, I my first. I had several thoughts in reading this one, and one of them was that thought. And my the next thought after that one was, uh, uh-uh, uh, don't you yeah. dare. So what do you think of this guy being a serial killer? I thought it made Nero a lot more interesting. It does. Actually made him like a character I kind of want to read about. Instead of just a guy with a bad attitude. This reminded me of Hmm. Lost. Yeah, I never really watched Lost. Oh, it's just the idea that you have these group of people and they don't know what anyone can do. You don't know if there's a prisoner, you know, walking around, if there's an ex-con. Anyway, it just had that Lost feel. You... You assume, because you're all in this really bad situation, that you're all good people. Yeah. And... I, I think you want people want to believe that. Right. And they've just gone through this experience where they escaped together. Hey, we're all on the same team, right? Right. Well, except for the guy that just slit one of our throats. Right. But, uh, so do you think he'll like end up being like a bad guy, bad guy? Or is he just, like, he didn't want to be discovered? Like, like he was just trying to cover up 
like his lie, basically, that he's telling right now. And this girl threatened to unravel it in front of everybody, so we had to get rid of her. Well, I think we're going to find that whatever they've done to these people, you know, their past lives are going to, like the junk. Junk talked about, you know, as soon as he's free, he's going to be a superhero. Right, yeah. And so I... For all the right reasons. (laughs) Money and fame. Right. So I think what's going to be interesting is finding these people, you know, juggle with the fact that you know hey we can do this and this stuff that we used to not be able to do and our lives but our old lives were you know x y and z and so that struggle of what they can do now versus what they were doing and doesn't make them better or worse right and so right. i i think with neuro that was the same thing it was like i haven't figured out who i am so we're just gonna revert backwards for a little bit I mean, it was instinct. So I guess my question, and we'll find out together, but do you think that like, he'll use his powers to just be like a worse, a more powerful version of what he was, or will he like use it to turn over a new leaf and try to actually be something different? No, I think he'll just turn into something worse. Like, I think it'll eat at him and he'll turn into something worse than he is. Okay, so he'll probably die. <laughs> No, I actually, I could see him being like I a new arch see, nemesis. Uh, I can't. I don't, I don't think having brains is enough to be a lasting villain. They can be a villain for a story, but they'd have to do, they'd have to change him in some way for him to be like a stick around villain. He has Cornelius's subconscious in him. Oh gosh. <laughs> Check please. All right. So what do you think of the art? I liked it. Um, yeah, there were good. certain parts I thought were kind of hokey, like kitty pride in her 80s outfit well that's not his fault he didn't design the outfit no i'm not talking about the outfit i'm talking about her face his yeah his angry and whatever his exaggerated facial expressions are a little ugly i think they're intentionally ugly well and i think sharp's gas mask changes dramatically throughout the book you think so yeah one minute it looks kind of short and squatty and in another panel it looks real long and lanky just compare it from the front of the book to the back of the book no that one right there looks a little it it will look flattened it looks long and lanky it just looks like you got his face got flat (laughs) and you got squished he's got bad hair Yes, he does. That's not a great drawing there. I thought overall the art was pretty good. Really enjoyed the color work again. Good job, Frank Diamarta, if that is your name. No, I know it's your name, if I said it right. <laughs> but I do enjoy the colors. Uh, so story, I'm still pretty stoked to see what happens. Probably actually even a little more intrigued than I was after the first issue. Okay, I'm borderline. Are you? You're on the fence? Yeah. That's cool. In fact, when I, when the, you said we were doing this one and I pulled it out to read it, I was like, what is this one again? And then I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was like, uh, um, and then I skimmed through it and it was like, oh, well, okay, we'll see what comes up next week or next yeah. month or whenever it comes out. That's cool. Yeah, a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah. So what are you going to grade it? Well, I'm going to give the Weapon X program number two, five out of six claws. Ooh. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm going to give it four out of six. Fair enough. Just because I I enjoy it, but I don't necessarily know if I'm like ooh 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 can't wait. I I'm pretty interested to see what this this inner Wolverine is. Any yeah. Wolverine. Any Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, that is the Weapon X program number two. Number two. Yes. And so now it's time for hey, remember when Wolverine was alive? 
We have two uh, stories that actually are both not only flashbacks in the sense that Wolverine's dead, but they're flashbacks inside their own story. So we have Uncanny X-Men number 28 and Avengers number 38. Uncanny X-Men 28 is written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Chris Aka, lettering and production by VC's Joe Caramagna, and the cover is also by Chris Aka. And this cover is flipping sweet. It's a white background with a Magneto in his black suit, and he's got a big metal ball that he's wrapping up Cyclops in. Looks pretty cool. And I gotta say, Chris Aka's Magneto helmet is badass. Anyway, basically, we're uh, continuing the story of Matthew Malloy. Remember, Cyclops took him away. Beast and Storm are at a loss on what to do. Cyclops is gonna try to train Matthew. Matthew's having trouble. Cyclops basically says, kind of gives out his thesis. His manifesto. He would do anything, anything at all to help mutants. And he'll do anything to help Matthew because he sees himself in Matthew. He also had a, a destructive power. He couldn't understand. He couldn't control him. Professor X helped him. But maybe Professor X is wrong. We kept helping and doing and doing and saving the world and people still hate us. We've begged for a place at the table and they won't give it to us. So now we're going to take it. And we'll try to do it the right way. But, you know, we have to scare people along the way. That's fine. And then Magneto shows up at the end and says, Nope, you've gone nuts. This is too far, even by my standards. I will not abide it. And that's pretty much it. Art's really good. Uh, Anka does a good job. Colors are good. Uh, so basically, when Cyclops is telling the history of the X-Men, we see some different flashbacks of the team, including Wolverine. And that's where we are. So, um, the story just kind of moves along. Um, I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men number 28. I'll give it... Five out of six claws. All right, Avengers 38 is Origin Sites, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Stefano Caselli, colors by Frank Martin, letters by VCs Corey Pettit, and the cover is by Simone Bianchi. And the cover is Cyclops and Beast facing a hand. It looks like Sunspot's hand. It's a pretty nice cover. I like it. And uh, basically, Sunspot is gathered together some of the Avengers. He kind of lectures them on everything that's been going on in Hickman's Avengers run with the origin bombs, the creation sites, and all that. And about how the Illuminati are facing off against Captain America and his ragtag Avengers teams of brute force. They're trying to figure out what's wrong with the multiverse, why it's broken. And we have some flashbacks of different stuff from previous issues that include Wolverine. And basically it's conspiracies inside conspiracies and all that stuff. And the art was really good. I like Caselli. Uh, the story was, I haven't been reading all the Avengers stuff, so some of it I was a little lost in, but it was, it was good for what it was. I don't know, actually I'm probably a little too lost to really follow along too well at this point anymore. I will give Avengers number 38 the benefit of the doubt. And I was calling a straight even 3 out of 6 claws. So anyway, that was, hey, remember when Wolverine was alive? Okay, so last up. We're going to have an Axis update with Sabretooth. I'm going to flip the script, so to speak. We have Axis number 6, Axis Revolutions number 2, and Magneto number 12. So Axis number 6, which is part of book 2 in version, is written by Rick Remender with pencils by Terry Dodson, inks by Rachel Dodson, Edgar Delgado, and Jesus Abertov. Maybe did the colorist or did the colorist. Chris Eliopoulos is the letterer. And then Jim Chung and Justin Ponsor did the cover. And we have our axis label this time making a diagonal border. And on one side on the top side we have Scarlet Witch attacking Doctor Doom with Magneto and Quicksilver. Kind of 
in the crossfire. And then on the bottom, we have Spider-Man watching as the superior Iron Man gets drunk with a bunch of hoochie mamas at a bar. So Axis, where we are, is, you know, on, they did their spell on Genosha and inverted everybody. So the heroes are now bad and the villains are now good. And part of that is the Evan turned into full-blown apocalypse. The X-Men have taken over Manhattan. They have a gene bomb that is capable of killing everybody that's human. Sabretooth sneaks in to see what's going on. He's got a haircut, a little buzz almost, not quite. And then Mystique comes to talk to the X-Men. Nightcrawler and Rogue rough her up. Sabretooth saves her. Um, they get away. Uh, Daredevil fights Iron Man. Scarlet Witch attacks Doctor Doom. Uh, Magneto and Quicksilver save him. Thor's a prick. <laughs> he finds Loki. Spider-Man saves Loki and takes him to the secret base and says, well, if the good guys are bad, of course, only the ones that were on the island, remember? So Spider-Man is just normal Spider-Man. But he says, if the good guys are bad and the bad guys are good and the other good guys that went around were captured by the bad good guys, then we're going to use the good bad guys to fight. <laughs> And so we have kind of an un-Avengers that's going to be um, the same bad guys from the previous issues of Axis. We have uh, Absorbing Man, Hobgoblin, Enchantress, Sabretooth, Jack-O-Lantern, Mystique, and Carnage. And they're going to join Loki and um, Spider-Man and whoever these other two are. <laughs> oh, that's old. Yeah, sorry. And Old Man Rogers and uh, the new Nomad, uh, Steve's son from the Dimension Z, Ian. And so that's going to be the new Unavengers. And so Sam Tooth kind of takes charge. He talks about the bomb he saw that would destroy all of humankind. And we have an hour to stop him, he says. So, you know, it's interesting to see him kind of basically be Wolverine. <laughs> but, um, but he's Sam Tooth. Uh, the art is not bad. The story's not bad. I'm kind of so-so on this whole inversion thing. But this part's kind of cool. Kind of the, the gathering of the, of the people and, and the teams. Oh, there's one part. So when Nightcrawler, when Sabretooth saves Mystique, he fights Nightcrawler and Rogue. And um, he says, Sad to see you go dark, Nightcrawler. You were the one person on Earth who gave Logan hope in mankind. And Nightcrawler says, And you, the one who most took it away, Sabretooth. And then they went and ducked in the Morlock tunnels. And Rogue says, Isn't it ironic, don't you think, that Sabretooth's hiding in the Morlock tunnels from us? Like rain on a wedding day. Yeah, that. Um, anyway, yeah. So, um, overall, I'm going to give Axis number six, four out of six claws. Axis Revolutions uh, is a two-part story. Ain't the Man I Used to Be is written by Frank Chieri with art by Paul Davidson and colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Hammered is by Kevin Maurer with art by David LaFuente. Finishes, I'm guessing, helped ink by Alvaro Lopez. And Jim Charolampidus is a color artist. And VC's Travis Lanham did the letters. And our cover is by Kalman Andrzejewski. And again, we have our, and he's doing his best, like, Salvador La Roca impersonation, I feel like. We have our Axis label, uh, diagonally. On one side, we have a drunk Thor. On the other side, we have Nightcrawler fighting Sabretooth. Not a bad cover. It's okay. Um, so our first story is about Nightcrawler and Sabretooth and Sabretooth in the rain. And he helps a lady, but the Nightcrawler attacks him and basically, you know, 
He's grieving for the loss of his friend, but he's also inverted, so he's more angry, more violent, and he's trying to take out Sabretooth, and he, like, teleports away some of his fingers, uh, I think one of his ears, and then stabs him with a bunch of swords. Uh, the use of the teleportation is pretty cool, and Sabretooth has some dead rights, but he lets him leave. Uh, Nightcrawler says, do it, you bastard, do what you do best. And Sabretooth tosses the uh, hot dog cart to the side and says, huh, guess I ain't the man I used to be, and Nightcrawler teleports away. And the whole thing's in the rain. The art's actually pretty cool. I'm not real familiar with Paul Davidson, but it was not bad. Kind of angular and distorted in places, but... It looked cool. It worked well. Uh, the Thor story is some reporter meets Thor in a bar and he's being a complete douche and a dick. And uh, the guy follows him around and kind of kisses up to him and then tweets all the, this bad stuff he did and writes a, a scathing expose. It's not that cool. Um, and the art's not that great. So overall, I will give... Yeah, I, so what do we think about Inverted Sabretooth? Um, we'll see. I'm not sure if there's really a whole lot to see in this issue. He just kind of fights, and he's nice, and he won't kill Nightcrawler, but that's about it. So I'm going to give Axis Revolutions number two, three out of six claws. Magneto number 12 is written by Colin Bunn. Art is by Rowan Bashi. Colors by Lee Luffridge. VCs Clayton Cowles and Woohoo Corey Pettit do the letters, and then David Yarden does the cover. And on the cover... We have Magneto is back to us facing a red onslaught. It's a pretty cool cover by Yarden. Pretty chilling. Pretty nice. So we kind of go back to when the spell was cast during Axis. And uh, Magneto is just kind of philosophizing about Sentinels and the stuff he was doing there. Uh, The art's not bad. It's pretty good. And we get some flashbacks to when he and Professor X first met, which was during... Shoot. When was that? You know, I used to love it when they would do editor's notes. <laughs> the little asterisk. And they don't do that anymore. So we have a flashback of their first meeting. Yeah, so back in one, Uncanny X-Men 161, where they do the flashback of the first meeting of Professor X and Magneto, we get a pretty major callback in this issue with flashbacks to that story. That's pretty cool. Basically, Magneto gets inverted, and he understands Professor X's fear and decides he will he kind of has a a meeting with the the spirit of professor x and who tells him you know mutants need a a shepherd and a champion to make sure mutants are seen and not forgotten about and protected and magneto's like i understand why you were afraid i will protect them and professor x is like no wait i'm trying to say you were right no listen stop magneto um takes the inhibitor collars off of the mutants then he meets Anjanosha, and he's gonna he's gonna be the good the good little X Man now. Um. So anyway, that's where we end up with Magneto. Art was pretty good. Story's pretty good. Still really digging this series. Oh, so Sabretooth is in this and the Axis tie-in because it it shows the scenes from Axis and we see Sabretooth fighting. I'm gonna give Magneto number twelve four out of six claws. So anyway, that is our Axis update with Sabretooth. Inverted Sabretooth. Jury's still out, I guess. We'll see where it goes. How it kind of feels, whether he still has a little bit of a brutal streak, or whether he's just a soft little kitty cat. <laughs> so we'll see. But that that's our Axis update. Haha, <laughs> I lied. So before we move to our closing, we do have one last short segment. It's our Wolverine Roundup, because X-23 is in Black Widow number 12. This is Somalia, written by Nate, Nathan Edmondson. 
Art by Phil Noto. Letter and production by VCs Clayton Cowles. And the cover is by Phil Noto. And on the cover we have Anderson Cooper giving a special report to Spider-Man and Captain America. I'm just kidding. They happen to be watching it. And it's on Black Widow, Avenger or Assassin. That's kind of where we start off. Uh, Anderson Cooper has a hard-hitting story about some possible terrorist activity of Black Widow. And he's saying, and she's an Avenger. If this is what our heroes are doing, she's like going into other countries and, and acting on her own behalf and blah, blah, blah. And so if this is what our heroes are doing, like who's controlling them? Are we really safe? And some of the Avengers are watching it including a very befuddled Spider-Man. <laughs> the way Noto draws his mask is pretty funny. And they're not sure what to do, though. I guess we better talk to Captain America. Anyway, all this time, Black Widow's on a mission in Somalia with the Howling Commandos to rescue a journalist that was taken captive. And they succeed in their mission, but the whole time, Anderson Cooper's kind of getting both sides. He talks to a politician, he talks about how heroes are out of control. Then he talks to a guy in another country that says Black Widow saved his life from a from a terrorist and a supervillain or whatever. We're lucky to have her. Uh, her lawyer, remember uh, X-23 last time, helped uh, Black Widow rescue her lawyer. He's watching. He's like, oh, crap. Then the president calls Maria Hill at S.H.I.E.L.D. and is like, is all this true? And some of the Avengers are also watching, including an X-23 sees it. She's uh, apparently at the gym, beating on a punching bag, and she's uh, watching it on her uh, iPhone. Anyway, that's the only panel she's in. <laughs> so anyway, Black Widow, when she gets within range, she finds out she has a missed call from her lawyer. She calls him back. She's like, hey, I'm at the apartment, but we're in disguise. This is kind of hot. But we'll get you out of this. But before she gets home, someone infiltrates Black Widow's apartment and shoots her lawyer. And then Black Widow comes home to be continued. I thought it was interesting. She's basically wearing a Gwen Stacy disguise. She has on a blonde wig, black boots, a purple miniskirt, and a black sweater with like a, a cardigan or whatever over it. Looks like the death of Gwen Stacy costume. Anyway, the art's really good. Story's really good. X-23 is barely in it, so we'll keep this short and sweet. But I'm going to give Black Widow number 12 five out of six claws. And that was our Wolverine Roundup starring X-23. All right, so that's going to do it for episode 108. Um, I did the Axis update by myself without you. You haven't read it. But what do you think of the concept of our inverted villains? So basically, in, in this the new Marvel event axis that we, we I talked about earlier, they cast a spell to try to get the... Because the Red Skull took Professor X's brain and like mind-melded it with his, so he had all Professor X's powers and was making everything evil. So they cast this spell to help bring Professor X's consciousness to take over like, the Red Skull's body. So he would be, his brain would be in charge and not a slave to the Red Skull. But what happened is everybody on the island in Genosha, like, got flipped. Or they're calling it the inversion. So all the heroes that were there are acting like a bunch of douchebags and dicks. And all the villains that were there are, like, really nice. And so Sabretooth is one of the villains. And um, so now we have an inverted Sabretooth, and he's kind of like a heroic Sabretooth. Interesting. What do you think of that concept? I feel like it's a giant opposite day and we'll get annoying <laughs> after freak, a while. A freaky Friday. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hope it doesn't last very long. It's interesting enough to a point. I will say, all right, so the reason I kind of brushed over it, because, <laughs> you know, if, if you've made it this far through the episode, you know that I talked about it really pretty briefly. And especially because I was 
really looking forward to a fight. When I heard like the before we knew what was happening, the solicits just talked about Nightcrawler hunting down Sabretooth, you know, at a morning for Wolverine. Right. Like I was really like stoked about that. Like, oh, that'll be a great story, and it'll really test like who Nightcrawler is and his beliefs, and you know. How will he handle facing Sabretooth if he catches him, blah, blah, blah. And then when you throw in the fact that they're both inverted, so that Sabretooth's like a good guy, and Nightcrawler's like, you know, super mean now. <laughs> like, I don't know, it, it kind of cheapened the battle. It's like, yeah, there's still the motivation. Nightcrawler still has, like, his motivations and his his reasons for hunting down Sabretooth is he's mad about Wolverine's death. But instead of us actually getting to see the Nightcrawler we know and love deal with it. Like, it's this dumb, bad Nightcrawler who's... But it's basically, oddly enough, very much like the way Remender wrote The Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler back in his Uncanny X-Force days. Um, but anyway, that's a side note. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it, it kind of took a lot of impact away from that battle. That's why I kind of brushed over it so fast because, I mean, who really cares? It's not the real... It doesn't feel like the real characters. Right. No. I don't know. It does feel like a Freaky Friday. I mean, in a way, it's it's maybe not better, but more different than, like, say, because DC has, like, their whole, like, the Injustice League, like, in a parallel dimension where the, the bad guys are good and the good guys are bad. And so, like, you have, like, the Injustice League who, like, try to conquer the world with the quote-unquote heroes, and then the bad guys have to, like, fight them. I just feel like that's so overplayed. I well, like that, to be fair, television. is a really old story. Well, I was going to say. They revisit from time to time, but originally it was told like way back in the day. Yeah, but I feel like every, like everyone, I feel like every show every, made yes. has done it. Every like, show, every comic, whatever. Switcheroo. Like Smallville, and you had the, was it the Black Kryptonite that made evil Superman? Yes. And then, you know. Supernatural, everyone, there's always a bad version. There's always a bad version of everybody and a good version. Yeah, Charmed had the, the girls got taken over and so they were bad. Yeah. Yeah. It was just stupid. Yeah, I'm not a major fan Buffy of the concept. Buffy had Reversal but. World where Willow got stuck in it. Sorry. I'm taking a word for it. Yeah. <laughs> wow, you just, you're ruining my nerd cred left and right this episode. I never watched Lost, never watched Buffy. I'm sorry. Never. Well, I guess probably charm doesn't do me good or bad. No. <laughs> it probably is like horrid points for me. <laughs> no, you're a girl. It's okay. Okay. I, I don't know. I just feel like... Gender every... roles. We support gender roles here on the podcast to go snick. That's right. <laughs> just kidding. I just... I don't know. I feel like... <laughs> Not at all. Just to be clear. fantasy-esque... Even that show once had a reversal world. Like... It, they deal with the reversal world every day. Like, it, I don't know. I just think it's overplayed. Yeah. Anyway, so please uh, leave an iTunes review. Like the Facebook page. Don't email us at snickcast at yahoo.com. Twitter, we're at snickcast. And show notes can be found on snickcast.podbean.com. I don't know what will be next. Uh, the next Logan Legacy Spotlight will be on Dawkins. I don't know if we'll get a, a flashback done between now and then or not. So I don't we'll see. know. They, we've got some holidays coming up. No, we're still recording. That was my head hitting the microphone. <laughs> we have a wedding to go to. You do no realize breaks. that, right? No breaks. All right. Well, until next time. 
<laughs> Hugs and snicks. Bye. Bye.